It's easy to get caught up in our own processes and think, what the heck could take my supplier so long to create a proposal? However, the reality is, as advisors, we could be doing so much more to help our suppliers work faster and more efficiently. While we may be the client, it's important to realize that, one, the suppliers are what are make or break in our client's end destination experience. And two, the supplier-advisor relationship should be fully collaborative with only one goal in mind, deliver exceptional service to the traveler. Joining me today, we have Katie Fisher, who has five years of experience as an advisor and agency owner, and now is part of our Teak team. We are going to walk through simple ways to tweak how you work with suppliers to ensure that we are all getting proposals, communication, and documents faster. Hey, it's your travel industry best friends, Robin and Jen from Teak. We're obsessed with practically anything that touches your business and allows you to scale to the level of success that you've always dreamt of. With Robin's background in sales and marketing and Jennifer's experience as a management level HR professional, we grew a small itinerary creation company into a multi-million dollar travel agency. And now we aim to help others skip the hard stuff and get right to the big wins. We're probably each recording this holding a glass of wine. So pour one up with us, grab a seat and join us to talk all things travel and business. The first thing that I want to start with is if you have not booked a destination previously, it is ultimately the advisor's responsibility to do some baseline research on pricing. I understand if someone doesn't know the logistics of the destination. For example, Japan, I wouldn't know where the heck to start, bullet trains, transfers, all of that. Like it would just be completely over my head. But what I can do is I can do some baseline research on pricing, seasonality, and potentially even some sample itineraries. What happens is when we go to a supplier and we know absolutely nothing, we don't have a realistic expectation of if a budget makes sense or if the timeline makes sense. We are asking them to start from ground zero and educate us, which some suppliers are really collaborative in that way and they they want to help educate you. And we're going to talk a little bit more on that because I just recently had a meeting with a supplier from Greece and he's like, you know what? Someone doesn't know what they're talking about. Like, let's get on the phone and I'll even get on the phone with your client. The point is just having some semblance of knowledge about the destination in general is going to help you be able to create a fruitful intake call and then relay that information over to the supplier in a productive way so that they're not just getting kind of like this throw spaghetti at the wall to see if it sticks situation and help decode that. So if that means looking on Pinterest, I mean, Pinterest is actually like this endless search string now. It's not just a social media platform. It's such a resource that we can utilize. Another is YouTube. I used to do a YouTube video from Rick Steves anytime that I was about to get on the phone about a destination. Rick Mm -hmm. Steves was my man. I also, I know some people hate it, but you got to stay caught up or technology will move on without you. But chat, GPT, any kind of AI, it crawls the internet a lot faster than we can. And if you type in, tell me a brief summary of Croatia. You can even tell it how many paragraphs you want. So if you have 15 minutes before your call and you want a one paragraph summary of whatever destination, like lean on that technology. That's wild. It is wild. It freaks me out a little bit, but it is incredibly 
it for the most part i've played around with it it's pretty spot on accurate yeah so you mean obviously always do your homework fact check yourself but it's pretty wild how quickly it can spit out information instead of like going to google and then clicking 16 different articles if anyone so i think of it as a more robust google at this point but it's like if you don't know what chat gpt is i promise you will very soon but it's an ai artificial intelligence platform and it's maxed out on users right now from my understanding i did apply to get notified and katie has the golden ticket she's like willy wonka factory over here and she was able to get into chat gpt it's incredibly helpful and i've even seen in facebook groups of non-advisors people are typing in like what is the best first time itinerary for italy and it will spit something out yeah and it's one of those things it's a double-edged sword because it is and i know we plan on talking about ai in the future but there was just a travel and leisure article i think that came out where they had it planned somebody's vacation and it it did miss the mark but it wasn't taking everything into account so that's where like our human brains and our expertise come in so you can vet it but like to be able to just be like what's the best thing to do in dubrovnik to be able to quickly get an overview if you're just not like a YouTube person or if you're not into Pinterest, that is another really great resource. So that you also sound like you know what you're talking about on the call, even if it's a destination you haven't visited. I agree with that. And there are so many times where my intake form doesn't account for destination nuances. So for example, South Africa Safari. I haven't always asked, how important is it for you to have strong Wi-Fi in your room? That's not something that I would normally ask someone that's going to Italy because it's going to be incredibly easy to get Wi-Fi. They're going to call it Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi. But I was on Safari and it turns out that if I had family back home that I needed to be connected to or work or something like that, I would have been really in a pinch. And even when I was in the main lodge, it wasn't so strong. So one, that's a whole different conversation of how to like edit your intake call for each destination. I think that'd be such a fun podcast. But it is also important that you kind of factor those nuances in. I just went on a tangent in my brain. So I'm going to refocus to podcast. That's my last thing that I would say. If you don't have time for anything, but you're going on a walk or you're driving somewhere and you know you've got an intake call coming up, pop on a podcast about the destination. There are so many podcasters now that are going to give you the same effect as a vlog or a blog, something like that. That's how I became knowledgeable on so many unique experiences. Again, Rick Steve's my man. I would go on a walk and I had just started my business. I hadn't been to Vienna or Prague or something like that, but I'm planning these itineraries based on these destinations. And I'm able to sprinkle in little nuggets of logistical information or oh, you have to try this gastronomic experience while you're there. It's native to the destination. And they're like, oh, wow, you know so much. You've traveled so much. No, I just listened to a podcast for 30 minutes before this call so I could sound like I'm adding value before I've ever been there. Do some baseline research. Just come to the table with some information, if nothing but to ask the right questions on the intake call now that you're more knowledgeable and that's going to help you build an email to that DMC or wholesaler or whoever it is. It's going to help you understand 
the questions that you should ask and the pieces of information that are going to be important when they're compiling the itinerary on your behalf. I know I mentioned this before. Some DMCs are even going to be able to jump on a call with you. I want to revisit that because I've spoken with a lot of suppliers that would actually prefer to get on the call with your client. And this is where I don't believe in white labeling. I am all about the VIP statement of like my end destination partner, yada, yada, yada. I think it makes me sound like I'm super connected. I don't believe in removing the DMC piece out of it to the client and then being like, wait, what are you doing? I'm the liaison. I'm the client experience. You're getting all of this from me. But if you are able from the get-go to get someone that's a complete professional, fluent in the destination on that intake call with you, they're going to ask the right questions. I would venture to say you're going to get a proposal faster because it's top of mind for them. And it's going to justify your fee because now you have someone that knows way more than a podcast could, a vlog could, anything like that. You have someone that's actually like compiling that itinerary and they're walking your client through it and you're a part of it. So you look like an absolute rock star. I want to tack on to what you said. On the other side of it, I noticed way better service from vendors when like instead of just a cold email from like another advisor, like, oh, this is Katie and she needs to work with someone who can help her plan X, Y, Z. When I started taking the time to set up 15-minute face-to-face Zoom calls with vendors, that made a big difference too, because then I could talk to them about what my client base looked like and what types of trips I'd be reaching out to them for and all of that. So I think taking a hot minute to build those relationships really helps in the long run as well. So you're not just some faceless 6,000th email that they're getting. Did you ever do that before you had an intake call? Like maybe you had a new destination and you're reaching out to a new supplier. Would you just go ahead and be like, actually, I'm going to chat with my supplier first so I can understand from them what they need from me? Yes. And I was really honest with my clients. I wouldn't come out and say, I'm not really sure about this destination, but I would say, I want to make sure I have the right partners for this. So let's schedule your call in a week or so once I've had time to connect with the person that I think would be the best fit, especially if it was a destination I wasn't confident in. I wanted to make sure I had all my ducks in a row because it was already like proposals were taking sometimes 10 to 14 business days. And then it was like, well, actually, I need to meet with them first. And now we're backed up. So it was just I found it to be much easier if I got like as soon as I got the inquiry, even if I wasn't sure if that inquiry was going to turn into a sale, I used it as an opportunity to build more relationships for the next time. I love that. That was big. In a perfect world, you would almost be having like one new supplier meeting a week. And that Mm -hmm. is just going to keep you relevant. And it's not reliant on your host. And I think a lot of people do tend to think like, well, that's really my host's role is to make an impression in the industry from a supplier perspective. But I love this because it's like, no, I'm the person that's getting on the phone with your your client, our mutual client. Tell me what I need to know. And if you want to be like the quote unquote like favorite in the class, I, I mean, you're cheating. You're you're getting the answers to the test before you're even turning it in. So I feel like that is the fastest and most guaranteed way of getting a spot on proposal by incorporating your suppliers into the relationship, whether it be individually before your intake call or actually on the intake call. Yeah, it's just building like a little 
black book of who I could go to in a pinch, especially if I got last minute inquiries. I just wanted to make sure I had everything vetted and all that. So that along with, I never had a vendor on a call with a client just because it never panned out that way. But I know that when vendors mentioned that they would do that, I was like, okay, this is a good one. I I feel like I should actually add that to our supplier meeting template. Add it to your Calendly too. Send that link specifically to vendors and it would have a couple questions so that, again, we're not wasting people's time. Oh, I can meet Monday at 12. Oh, half the time these vendors are on different time zones. Every step of the way, trying to make it quicker and easier for all of us because we're all just trying to get our work done. Cool. Let's talk about fees then. This is your favorite topic without delay. And I know that everyone, when they hear this, they're like elbowing up to the table. So let's talk about how fees actually play into why a supplier, one, would want to work with you, and two, how it actually may help you get a proposal faster. And for anyone who's listening who hasn't, I don't know, listened to us before or or they haven't seen the announcement from ASTA, but it is now considered best practice for travel advisors to charge a fee. Hopefully we can work toward that being the industry norm so that people are not thrown off when they work with a travel advisor. Like, oh, well, I worked with someone and I had this happen. I worked with someone before and they didn't charge a fee. And then I had to explain why I did. So charging a fee should hopefully move toward being the industry norm because it protects all of us. But when I would send off all of my clients' requests and information and all that to a vendor, I started including in my email to the vendor that just so you know, I've already secured a fee from this client. They are serious about moving forward. Not that that helped me necessarily, and I don't know, maybe behind the scenes, it did help me cut the line, but I felt that it just painted a broader picture of, I have fully vetted this client. This is what they're interested in. If I could, I would give past experiences, especially if it was a client who was coming back to me, I would sometimes send a past itinerary. But then saying, I have charged them a fee, I've already collected it. It shows that like all parties are serious about moving forward and that you're not window shopping. That's what fees help with. Like I'm sure there are, and I've had it happen to me, people pay a fee and then change their mind. That's fine. The fee is mine. But for the most part, if someone ponies up a few hundred or a few thousand dollars for a professional's fee, they're ready to move forward and they want the service they paid for. So, you know, making sure that that is something you do so that you are not having this window shopper come to you and at the end of the day, they're going to take it and go book with some you know, online travel agency or big box store. It just, I think it protects your time, but it, more importantly, it protects the vendor's time because if they're getting clogged up with requests from advisors who have not charged a fee and those clients are not serious, that, that creates delays down the pipeline for everybody. Imagine a world where every advisor was charging a fee and every supplier was only getting vetted requests where people have mutually invested in the process. I just want to say, if you're listening to this and you're not charging fees, think about it from an entire industry perspective. It definitely shifts your mentality. And I'm not here to say like, you know, you're good or you're bad if you are are or aren't charging fees. But one, you are worth a fee. End of the story there. But when it comes to our supplier relationships, imagine that they know that every proposal they send out, on the other end of that, someone is actually ready to consume the content. I just can't even imagine how much faster we would be getting documents from our suppliers. We would be getting email responses. 
We would be getting proposals that would be sending off and then actually confirmations because that client has already paid to receive that proposal. So they're not going to waffle and dilly dally around because they've already committed to working with you. So they're not going to go, like you said, window shop to the next advisor. And then your suppliers are like, okay, are you ever going to get back to us? One, that's just like really crappy. For lack of a better term, it's just really crappy to not like close the loop for your suppliers and to let things drag on. And earlier in my career, I will be 100% honest that I was not the best supplier client because I wasn't charging fees and I wouldn't decline a lot of the time. I know that's like people are cringing right now, but I didn't know better. And when you know better, you do better. I was just like, oh, this is just the way that business works. You know, if something falls off, it falls off. But then they would come back to me and be like, okay, do you have an answer from this client? I'd be like, so sorry. They actually, you know, they booked elsewhere or I booked them elsewhere, which is even shystier. Like you definitely don't want to shop against yourself. You should have a repertoire of suppliers and DMCs that you know exactly who you're going to go to for that quote. Now, if that supplier is backed up and they're not able to meet your needs in that does, in that situation, of course, you're going to have a backup. But it's not kind to simultaneously send out two requests to two DMCs. They're both working hard on it. And then you like pick your favorite one. Like, no, go in with your favorite supplier. And that's where, to Katie's point, like have those conversations in advance so that you know who your favorite supplier is. That's just really respectful that everyone that's working on something for you is going to have the potential of making income on it. And I want to say, I think the days are numbered that we are not paying fees to our suppliers. We're already charging our clients to create a proposal. So there's nothing saying that that shift won't occur where we maybe and actually end up paying the suppliers for the proposals. I could see it happening is all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I've heard whispers of this. Yeah. And that's another reason to charge a fee to cover your time. And then if there are incidences where you have to pay a fee to the vendor, then you're covered for that. Um, I, I want to get a supplier on about that because I want to pick their brain. Like, I don't want to by any means like plant the seed. The seed is already planted. There's already rumblings of it. But mm-hmm. I would like to know the methodology. And I know that there are some suppliers that are already asking exactly what you mentioned. Like, did you charge a fee for this? And if the yes. answer is no, they're not taking that. I have had a supplier. And that's why I started mentioning it in emails just as part of my standard list of what I sent over can't remember what the I think it was actually summer of 2022 like spring into summer when it was insanity and everyone was still short-staffed from COVID and like the doors to the world had opened I had a, a supplier ask like has this client charged a fee because some of their requests were a little off the wall so I think they wanted to make sure that we were not wasting our time and I respect that because on the other end of that email is another human who's got a list as long as mine to get through and I think that advisors can get a little like snippy and sassy and frustrated with vendors. And I'm sure they feel the same way about us. But like, we've just both got to make sure we're not wasting time. And fees are a good way to make sure you're not wasting time. Along with that, if anyone is still listening and thinking, I'm not going to charge a fee. When I ran all of my numbers for 2022 and looked at my commission to fee income, my fees accounted for 37.5% of my income. So please start charging a fee. 
you will save yourself so much time and time is money when you are not taking on clients who are like, oh, I want you to work for free. Stop working for free. And if you, I mean, we have a whole, we actually have two episodes. It was too big that we had to split it into two, but there are two episodes on why to charge fees. And I'm sure there will be many more. Just all that to say, charging a fee, you are able to potentially hand that part of that off to a supplier, knowing that you're still going to make something on the trip. So if nothing else, definitely incorporate that into your supplier one-on-one meetings. And I would say two questions to add if they're not already added to your list after listening to this is one, do you charge a fee for a proposal? Because I don't think many are, but I do believe there is one that is currently. And I think it's modest and it might even be a retainer. Like it applies to the trip, but it's just a guarantee. If anything, I think that's probably the future. But also asking, are you willing, if necessary, to get on a call with the client? So those, I think those two questions would be really respectful to ask. I think so too. All right. Anything else to add on that? I'll keep it reeled in for today, but uh, there, there's more. Always get your fee before you even start on the proposal. Yeah. And I make that clear in the intake call. Obviously, you know, respectfully, I'm not like, listen here, but it's in the intake call. And then when I send the intake call recap email, it's in bold and it's highlighted. Please note that there's no due date technically. I mean, I put a due date on the invoice for a few days later, but I don't charge a late fee or anything. I just let them know the penalty is I don't start working on your proposal at all until I have your payment. So little things like that ensure that you are not wasting anyone's time, especially your own. I do want to mention that some of these templates that we're talking about, like these materials, are in the Boundaries Masterclass. Also, we have a Profitable Proposals Masterclass, which this aligns perfectly with. And it's actually what inspired this podcast. I was like, oh, this is perfect time to talk about this because we have created a proposal template that you send to suppliers. And so this email is you type in everything that you gathered from the intake call. So I would even say, like, frankly, if you're a great multitasker, you could complete this proposal while you're doing the intake call and just it's in Google. Google automatically is going to save your draft of an email. So like if you need to copy and paste it into your CRM notes afterwards, so it's saved somewhere, that's great. But you could even be typing notes into your supplier template email as you're talking. And just, I always explain like, hey, I'm just going to be taking notes during this. Like, I'm not distracted. I promise I'm listening to you. I want to make sure I'm not missing anything because it can feel very distracted right now if you're not like fully engaged in a conversation. I've had suppliers even call me out on that while I'm taking notes. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not typing emails. I'm typing notes from our conversation. But just to make sure they know that, and we do have this template, and it's not just about budget. It's not just about date. It has everything to do with style. And Katie, you mentioned this before. I love, love, love that you said this, attaching a previous itinerary that a client loved and maybe even noting what they didn't love in there because parallels are more powerful many times than saying a style and how we articulate something. Yeah. I feel like some things in travel are so subjective. Like, I don't know, a four-star hotel to someone who's never traveled before might feel like a five-star hotel or 
someone might think that they want like a modern boutique, something or other, but they don't. And so especially if you have clients coming back to you and they had a great time before or like like you said, if they didn't have a great time before, sending over the Travify or, you know, whatever documents you have has been really helpful. I've had vendors come back and say, thanks, that was really helpful to see a comprehensive rundown of what they did on their trip last year, just to give them some something to go off of that's a little bit more concrete. And if they're not repeat clients, make sure that on your intake call, you're asking favorite memories of a past trip or a favorite hotel they've ever stayed at, if their hotel is important to them. Some people, a hotel might not be important to them. I would argue that to some extent, a a hotel is important to everyone, even if they say they're not a hotel person. And that's our role to be discerning of that. But if location is more important to them than the actual amenities of the hotel, then that's something to note altogether. And that was actually the conversation I had recently with a supplier in Greece. He's like, it's not about the example of the hotel. It's the why behind that hotel. Okay, so they love the Four Seasons in Milan. What was it about that? Was it the location? Was it the amenities? Was it the bed? Was it that they had an app that you could check in on? Like, what what was it? Because if it's the location, then that's a very different conversation than the actual, like, fact that maybe they loved that it was a international brand that had a, a specific, consistent quality to it. So it's always about the why. So when you create this proposal, I always included a sample itinerary of what I was looking for that was like, my vision is day one, blah, 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 day two, blah, blah, blah. And I would actually go as a hypothetical day by day and give examples of hotels that I think in that destination they might like. And then I would say, but I'm open to your recommendations. Here's the budget. This includes flights. So let's think about that. Like the supplier needs to know not only what the budget is, but what your client envisions that budget to include, because they might think that includes food where the supplier is never going to factor in food because we all know that that varies from person to person. These intake calls, they might be efficient to you, but they need to be comprehensive and They should get enough that you understand from a really like deeply psychological perspective what this client's true goals are in their for their trip. I have never had a vendor come back and say, you sent too much information. (laughs) Like they they want I have slowly started to get to the point where my the emails I send over for proposal requests look like a small novel. And I break it down by like the client's name. Yeah, it's almost like a psychological profile on them. It's not enough to say, oh, they're foodies. Like, what do you mean? I'm I'm a foodie, but I'm vegan. That's important to know. I have people who are foodies and have food allergies or they're foodies, but they really want a certain type of foodie experience. Things like that. Or, oh, it's they want a wellness trip. Okay. And what do you mean? Spa appointments all day or they want to go to the thermal hot spring getting way more granular, it also expedites the proposal process because it's not all this back and forth. And then you get the proposal and you're disappointed because the vendor was not a mind reader. I have started opening all of my proposal or my intake calls with clients with, before we jump into the details at all, I just want you to like talk me through what you want this trip to look like. Just tell me, like day to day, 
Walk me the way you've day dreamt about it. Yeah. What, what do is, you want? What's your perfect day? And just take notes the whole time and translate those for your suppliers. So also asking what they don't want, because a lot of people can pinpoint what they don't want before they can pinpoint what they do want. It's sad, but like negative things stick with us a little bit longer. And, you know, in a few years, we might remember the positives. But if you just had a trip last year, I guarantee you're going to remember the bloopers that happened, too. And the thing that you didn't like about the hotel, because that's just human nature. We're going to we're going to look for those things. So if you ask, have you ever had a trip that maybe didn't live up to the expectation or a hotel that you were underwhelmed by? You can get a lot of information from that, because what if someone said all of a sudden, actually, there wasn't a coffee machine in our room? I would have never said that's an an important must have amenity but I dang sure noticed that it wasn't there. And I would prefer to be in a room where I can have my cup of coffee every morning while I get ready. Things like that, the what do you not want or what were you underwhelmed by previously? A lot of those things can speak much louder than the positives. And pace, I think, is a big thing. I learned that after sending clients on a trip where like they had everything they wanted and I tried telling them, I'm like, I feel like the pace of your itinerary is a little much. And I am a very much like get up and go kind of person. And I was exhausted by this itinerary. And then when they came back, they were like, we had a great time, but it was too much. I'm like, we talked about that. But like having really frank discussions with your clients and being honest that like quality over quantity, first of all, but then asking creative questions that have purpose. I've seen some intake forms where some of the questions I'm like, I'm not really sure what the purpose is. So like if you only have 15 to 30 minutes on an intake call, making sure like you're hitting the highlights and not just trying to impress them with like quirky questions, getting to the point, but also like being creative. I had a client who could not tell me what kind of hotel she wanted. And then she finally was like, I want it to be Instagrammable. And I was like, got it. Okay, now I know what you mean. Like you couldn't describe what she wanted. And then so making sure it's a conversation and not like a Q&A. And rule of thumb, never ask a yes, no question. No, all of them should be open-ended. Yes. I feel like you get way better answers that way. And pause. And silent. Yes. Jinx, neither of us are silent. But the power of the pause is so impactful. Yeah, I would always start mine with like, I get really nervous when I'm meeting new people. And so I tend to just jump in. I'm like, all right, let's talk about your flights, economy, your business right off the bat. And instead, like just introducing ourselves and chatting about the weather. And then I just say, all right, tell me what kind of trip, walk me through it. And then just sit and listen. And I got way more in-depth, detailed information out of my clients than if I was just like running down this bullet point list. Can we normalize that it's okay to be nervous before an intake call? I think that there's this stigma that like tenured advisors are just out there like crushing it, having these like amazing intake calls. And I knew it would be like an Italy intake call. And I'd be like, I know I'm going to dominate this. They have the three stops that everyone has, but I would still get this ball of anxiety beforehand. And I don't know why. Maybe that's just like an internal motivator and you can use it for good. But let's just like take a minute and normalize that if you get nervous before an intake call, it's okay. 
Yeah. Oh, confidently. This is how I do my intake calls. Meanwhile, every intake call, I had an ice pack down the front of my shirt because I'd get so hot and nervous. I'm like, I can I get naturally really like splotchy and red when I'm nervous. And so to like combat that, I'd be like, oh, five minutes till my call. And I, I have these little ice packs from when I had surgery and I kept them and I would just boop, drop it down the shirt and that helps. So if you do get nervous, put an ice pack down your shirt. Oh my gosh. But I love that. That's I think so it's funny. I think it's just, yeah, let's normalize being nervous, but like use it to your advantage to, you know, be prepared. (laughs) And slow down. Like you said, like jumping right in, like just take a Mm -hmm. beat. And the the person on the other end of the phone is not nervous. So there's no point of you reacting out of nerves and making it weird, for lack of a better term, like making it uncomfortable. They're they're just excited. They're getting to talk about their vacation. So the only thing that we have to worry about is just making sure that the person on the other end of the line feels comfortable, welcome, and trusts us. If nothing else happens, that's the goal. And if you boil it down to that, it takes those first five minutes and it completely changes how you act. Absolutely. All right. So, Katie, let's talk about if you hypothetically received a proposal and for the most part it was good but you had some feedback. Let's talk about what that looks like for you. It took me a while to get to this level of confidence as an advisor, but I used to just get proposals and assume that the supplier knew best and I would just be like ready to pop it in to Travify and send it off. And then I had to like walk myself back a lot of the times because I, I would review it, but not like review it through my client's eyes. I would just review it from a, okay, everything I wanted is here, send it off without thinking through it from the client's perspective and logistical perspective. And you do that once and and then it bites you in the hiney. (laughs) So now when I get a proposal, even though it is super tempting to like get it sent off so you can get it deposited, I will actually go through it. And if I anticipate that my client's going to have questions, I don't send it to the client yet. I just send those questions to the supplier. Or if I want to be able, because I use Loom to walk through proposals, with my before I send it off to the client, if I want to be able to speak confidently to the details that are in that proposal, I will send back just a couple of quick questions. Like, can you clarify this tour? Can you clarify why you chose this instead of this? So I think just, I know it's tempting and it's exciting when you get a proposal and it does look beautiful to send it off to the client, but it's again, slows down the process. If now the client has questions, you got to send those questions to the supplier. You got to wait for the supplier to answer you. Then you got to send them back. It saves on a lot of emails. If you can explain the why behind a proposal before you send it off to the client. And then on the other side of that, when I would get proposals where they completely missed the mark, I would go back and review my notes. No one wants to admit that maybe it was them, but there were times where I was like, oh, I didn't explain this clearly. And I wouldn't even send it to the client before I would send it back for edits because again, it's why are we wasting time sending over something that does not hit the mark? So then I would say, can we just tweak this? I'm sorry if it wasn't clear enough here, change this around and then send it off to the client. So again, taking a minute to review everything before just because it can become very transactional. Like, thank you for the proposal. I'm sending it to the client now. And then it just takes more time when you have to correct course. Thank you for saying that it could have been you. Because I feel like so many times it's very easy, again, to be like, this is completely wrong and I'm so frustrated because we are dealing with a lot of clients. Well, so is the other person on the other end. 
And there were many times where I did feel like I articulated what I wanted well. And the reality is that the supplier has a more preferred relationship potentially with another property. And there is some level of pushback that's appropriate. And I would say, actually, I don't, I know I don't like this property. I've seen it. And sometimes we don't have the luxury of that, right? We don't have the luxury of knowing that a property, how it feels when we're in the destination because we're leaning on that supplier to be that person. But you can look at TripAdvisor. And I know that here's the thing. TripAdvisor can be used for evil. It can be used by our clients to like ask a million questions, but it can also be our best friend if we are looking at real photos and we don't know that destination well. I, for example, I had someone that was going to Italy and I knew that I wanted one property because of the way it felt or a parallel property. And I'm, I'm okay with that. Like same situation, but they gave me a very like old school, I will say traditional look. And it just wasn't the client. They wanted a little bit more modern and she, and this was more like, you know, those deep reds and golds and that traditional feel. And it just was a mismatch. And frankly, I love the supplier. I'd never hold it against them, but I think they had a preferred relationship was one of the properties. And I just had to push back a little bit and say like, this entire itinerary is lovely. However, this is what I'm looking to achieve. Do you have some other options for me to select from? Because they may be able to give you some options rather than that one specific hotel that you think you love. For example, in Sandrini, Everyone knows that Cavo Tago hotel that's like all over Instagram where they're in the caves and they swim out and they've got this like caldera view and it's epic. Katie's like nodding her head yes because it's like Instagram famous, but they give preference to Instagrammers, not DMCs. The general understanding is that they don't lean towards the travel advisor community. And we know there are some hotels that just don't lean towards the travel advisor community. They don't need it. And or they think they don't need it. And so it's about coaching the DMC of like, what is the real goal there? What do they want? They, okay, I can't get that hotel. Maybe availability doesn't work and maybe you don't work with them, but this is the essence of what they want. Here's the parallel. They can come up with some options on their own there. Yeah. I really love when clients give me examples of hotels or resorts that they've done their own research. I know some advisors don't like when clients do their own research. I do because it gives me an idea of what they're drawn to. And then it's our job to advise them. You know, if I have someone come to me and it's like, oh, I love this all inclusive in Costa Rica. I'm like, no, you don't. And here's why. But like, I think when you send notes off to a supplier saying during my intake call with this client, we discussed this hotel. If it doesn't fit their budget, if it's not available, if you think there's something better, please feel free to suggest that. But then asking why, like when you get that proposal back, if there's something that makes you scratch your head, I have emailed back and they're like, this isn't quite what I was expecting. And I'm wondering if you could clarify for me before I send it to the client, because maybe they have a real good reason. I think the more crystal clear everyone is, and I think a lot of people like to beat around the bush too, like, no one wants yeah. to step on anyone's toes, but you can be kind and firm. It's more kind to give productive and comprehensive feedback to a supplier that's already invested in creating your proposal than it is to get nervous and fearful that you're going to hurt their feelings and go to a completely other supplier. That is unkind and an abuse of, frankly, free labor. If you trust the supplier, 
to take your feedback, I say double down and keep working with that supplier. Yeah. And it's faster to send an email and be like, love what you did here. Like I always do um, a compliment sandwich. You know, thank you so much for your hard work on this. I hope you're having a great week. I'd like to discuss this. And that's where you drop in your constructive criticism or your feedback. And then you wrap it up with something nice. The criticism is in the middle, but it's padded by two nice things. Like there's no reason to be rude at all, ever. Just being like, you know, I this isn't quite what I was expecting. Can we redirect? It's way easier than just like a jumping ship and starting over with a new supplier. Also, like we've said like 14 times throughout this podcast, that's not good business either. So it's okay to like put your big girl pants on and, and speak up for yourself and your client because you're going to save everyone time and energy by doing so. Yeah. This same conversation that I've alluded to a couple of times with a supplier recently is it hit on a couple of things. And he said, do you know the difference between hopping on a call and having 15 minutes to review that itinerary with us? How much that would change the entire really client experience? Because if you can intellectually articulate the itinerary to a client, they're going to have more realistic expectations of everything in that itinerary, especially if you said, and this is leaning on Loom again, but like you're talking through something and you're like, I actually didn't put you in this hotel because I knew this was important to you. Now, something to note about this hotel is XYZ, but this is the best hotel for you because of XYZ. Like you can't put that in an email all the time. But when you're able to articulate it in this very comfortable conversation format, I would argue that a 20-minute conversation could make you thousands of dollars. A 20-minute conversation with your supplier to understand the why is a difference of potentially thousands of dollars in your pocket and weeks of back and forth about an itinerary that you already started on. Yeah, I could not agree more. So I would say if you don't understand the logistics of a place that's even more important. I I fumbled so hard, Katie. My first South Africa quote, I knew not one lick. And I was so intimidated by this client. I have no idea why. It was even like an unrealistic budget and I was busting my butt to make it work. They wanted Silo and they wanted Singita, but they were absolutely not even close to that price point. And that's fine. I, I, I love actually finding great South Africa itineraries for a high level of expectation because I think a lot of South Africa properties still deliver at a more realistic and moderate price point. But I didn't know anything about the logistics. So she's like, I'd love to get on a call and talk through it. And I just totally flopped. I never heard from them again. I, they did come back for Italy. They were like, all right, she can definitely do Italy, but don't bust her on South Africa. Luckily, they didn't end up going on the South Africa trip. So I'm not too offended. But I was so embarrassed. And I was like, you know, the difference of having a conversation with 15 minutes with that supplier would have completely changed the client perspective of me as a professional. Well, and I think that's like a little sidebar here. Important to, I know a travel advisor's schedule is incredibly volatile and busy, so it's hard to find time. But like blocking one hour into your week for educational purposes, watching a destination masterclass or a webinar or even subscribing to Travel and Leisure magazine or Condé Nast or Afar, reading about these places. And it's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day of running our businesses. 
we're supposed to be professionals and we can't know everything about everywhere, but making sure that we're not just becoming transactional. And then there's also something to be said for being honest on intake calls. I've had clients just throw something at me out of left field and I freeze up like a deer in headlights. But my time in healthcare taught me that if you do not know the answer to something, just be honest and say, I'm not sure, but I'm going to find out for you. Let me check with my connections on that. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm not sure right now, but I'll get back to you. Like I had a client email me something about Portugal the other day. I'm like, I have no clue, but I'll find out. So I think that's better than, obviously you can't say that to every question that they have because then they're going to go somewhere else. But I think it's okay to let yourself be human. And like, we're not, you know, Einstein here. We can't know everything, but doing a little bit of homework prior to a call and then making sure you follow up with their questions can go a long way. Um, Don't you think you could mitigate that question? Like the, have you been there? Have you planned this before? If you started the call with saying, I'm so excited for this call. I actually had a call with my in-destination partner before this to prepare and make sure that I have all the questions ready to ask you. Like, I think you could actually mitigate the potential for that question if you started mentioning that you have someone there and then also like sprinkling in a piece of value. I 1000% agree. I just did this. I had never booked Portugal before. And then in the span of a few weeks, I got all these Portugal inquiries and found myself a really good Portugal supplier, got on a call with them, had everything I needed. And I said that to the first client that I had the call with. I was like, I am so excited. I've been wanting to plan Portugal for a long time. It's a country I'm very interested in. You are my first one. And I have everything. I already met with this supplier. We're ready to go. And it made them more excited because then when I sent their proposal over, I included, and going back to not believing in white labeling and erasing the existence of the DMC I'm working with, I included a little blurb in the proposal about that partner, why I chose them. I was like, everything you see will have my name on it, but you'll also see this supplier's name. And here's why I work with them. And here's the benefit for you and me. And I believe in honesty being the best policy because I am busy and I don't have time to keep track of lies. Like I, I would be the world's worst liar anyway because I'd be like, ah, oh, shoot, I wrote that down on a sticky note and then I lost the sticky note in true Katie fashion. And so I think just being honest with our clients when you know we haven't been somewhere, we haven't booked it. But again, that is why meeting with suppliers and vetting them beforehand is so important yeah. because then you're not scrambling and you feel ready. What about... Turnaround time. Like, the one, first of all, if we were to do all of these things, giving the most comprehensive proposal requests possible so there weren't 60 emails attached to one string. And when we give feedback, we give very specific, again, comprehensive feedback. And when we send a proposal over to a client, we truly take the time to understand the why. Now, if we were to do all of these things, I would argue that it would cut down on a lot of turnaround time for most communications proposals and documents with our partners. And if we're going to call them partners, I think that's what we need to be honest about is, am I being a partner in this relationship? Say they are backed up and we can't change the whole world in a hot minute. And if you're listening to this podcast, obviously you're going to start putting all these practices in place. But if they are backed up as we know they are right now, 
What do you do, Katie, to like manage expectations on turnaround versus getting just frustrated? Going back to spring and summer of 2022, this is when I learned out of my five years of booking, I learned all the lessons that during that rush of booking, I was getting really frustrated because my intake call recap email, I, I think I said like turnaround time was five to seven days because prior to COVID, that's what it was. And then during like peak COVID, when a lot of people weren't traveling, it was also kind of fast. And then, you know, the demand skyrocketed and turnaround time slowed down. But I didn't change my language in my workflow to reflect that. I also did not discuss it really during the intake call. And then I would have people getting getting all up in my inbox asking where their proposal is because they paid their fee two weeks ago. So I think a big part of it is communicating. So communicating with the supplier. When you send off the note, I mean, obviously this is after the intake call, but if you're meeting with suppliers anyway, making it a part of what you're asking them. What is your current turnaround time? What's your longest expected turnaround time if you were to get really busy? Reiterating that in your recap email and making sure it's updated. I changed mine to like two to three weeks at one point because that's what it was, especially for like really complex FIT type stuff. And then talking about it on the intake call with your client, like face to face and making sure you get their verbal understanding that like once you pay your fee that I'm going to send you, I'm going to do this. And then the vendor and I are going to work on this. And once your proposal is ready, I'll send it over. It could take two to three working weeks to get it done. And I always told my clients, if we hit the two week mark and you haven't heard from me yet, feel free to check in or I will check in with you. I think we owe people that when they're handing us a bunch of money. And I would put it in my task list in Travel Joy, like just quick touch point proposal update so it wouldn't get lost in the chaos. And just a quick two sentence email. I hope you're doing well. I wanted to update you. I haven't heard anything yet on your proposal, but I anticipate it will be in the next few days. That's it. And uh, people would email 99% of the time. People would email back and be like, great, we're in no rush. Thanks for the update. But if I wouldn't have sent it, they would have probably started to get frustrated. And I would always tell people longer than what I thought. So if I knew I was going to have, there are some vendors out there that no matter how busy things get, somehow they get proposals back super fast. They don't know how they do it. And I knew I'd have it back quickly, but then I need to still review it. So like building in buffer time, I never wanted to overpromise and underdeliver. So I'd always tell people at least two weeks. And if I got it to them faster, then great. I think there's also... Something to be said for if you take a really complex request and turn it around super fast, then your clients are going to think you're a magician. And that I you was can just going to say this. I was just going to say there is psychology in waiting and they yeah. think it's too easy. And then when they ask for a change and it takes two weeks, they freak out. Or worse, they start to do their own research and think they can book it on their own because you did it too easily. And I... I am not kidding. That was the pitfall of the first three years of my business was I was turning around proposals too fast that I was getting questions and I wasn't there are two. It's a two part thing. I was turning around too fast. I wasn't explaining the why. And I buried myself in proposal backlog. There would be times where I would get a proposal back faster than what I wanted because like I already had my week planned out. And I would literally see it come into my inbox and I would be like, that's a tomorrow problem because I wanted to, I, again, if I had just met with the clients 48 hours ago, now this two week itinerary is done. 
they're going to wonder why they paid me what they paid me if I was able to just pull yeah. it out of thin air. Because some people don't see that as, wow, she has great connections. They no. see it as, oh, well, that was easy. Yeah. So I think, obviously, you don't want to sit on something too long. But, yeah. you know, making sure that there's balance. <laughs> I agree. You don't want availability to change, obviously. And when you're working with a vendor that's not holding space and that varies from vendor to vendor, but like there is psychology in waiting. You, if you turn it around in 24 hours, they're going to be like, oh, but this, what about this? I saw this. And then they go down the rabbit hole. And that is what I didn't expect because I thought I was doing my clients a service and I was, I was actually hurting their ability to make a decision. But I, I think there's power in what you mentioned too, is if you manage expectation from the get-go, you have a lot more trust from that client and touching base with them. Don't get frustrated if they check in with you in two weeks. Like you, they handed you hundreds of dollars. They, that, right. like, I want to know where my hundreds of dollars are. Just being honest about the why. You can't just say there's a two-week wait. They're going to be like, well, I can go online and book all of this in 24 hours, why would it take you two weeks? Right. Explain how manual this is and how they have selected guides and they need to get confirmation from each point of your itinerary to create this beautifully custom package, which is exactly what they're paying you for. And when you yeah. explain the why of anything, that's I, this podcast should be like, why do you explain the why? But when you explain the why, you're going to justify that I don't want to say lag because we know it's a true authentic time frame, but they'll understand the time frame a lot more. Well, and another piece of that is even if you've met with the vendor before, let's say you met with them six weeks ago and on that call, they were like, oh, our turnaround time right now is a week. When you send over your notes, confirm again. Oh, I have here are all the notes for this client. Thank you so much for working on this proposal. Can you confirm that your turnaround time is still a week? Has it changed? What can I expect so I can relay that to my client? Like, again, it never hurts to be more specific and just inquire, because then if you don't ask that and you haven't heard from them in 10 business days, you're going to get frustrated. So I think just if everyone is a little bit clearer with each other, it saves everyone a lot of heartache. I agree. Thank you so much, Katie, for your time. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to listen. We've personally been connecting with suppliers lately and talking a lot about this topic, and they've all agreed that a more comprehensive and collaborative communication approach could shift the entire relationship dynamic in the industry. We recommend giving these tips a try and seeing how it shifts your conversion time and overall relationship with your suppliers. And of course, if you're loving our content, please head on over to your favorite podcast platform, give us a review, subscribe. And we will see you next time on TikToks. We're sending you a long distance cheers because you just finished another episode of TikTok. If you loved what you heard, hit subscribe and head over to the show notes for any resources and a summary of this episode. In the meantime, if you want more access to us, we are personally inviting you to join our Niche by Teak community where we host live events, answer your questions, share destination masterclasses, and give you a front row seat to all the resources that we launch throughout the year. Plus, What's better than being surrounded by like-minded advisors that are hyping you up to succeed each day? We think nothing. Head over to www.teakhq.com backslash niche to join the community today.